Well, we are in week six of our series, uh, Follow. It's only eight weeks. Don't worry, it's not going to go on forever. Uh, (laughs) It will come to an end. Um, And if you'd like to catch up with what we've already done, you can certainly go to intoone.ca and go to our sermon archive, and you can watch um, all the previous things. Now, I just wanted to start right away with a quick confession. When I became a Christian, I was raised in a Christian home like many of you. Um, When I became a Christian, I didn't think of it in terms of being a Jesus follower. That's what we're talking about in this series, right? Following Jesus. I didn't become a Christian because really that I loved Jesus or that I loved God. I was intrigued and I was nudged, I think. I was called. All that is true. But you know what's also true? I pretty much loved me. That's about all I knew. And, and I think for many of us, we come into the, um, the whole Christian faith as a consumer and not a follower. We are Jesus consumers. And when you read, and I hope that you do read, the New Testament, all of Jesus' followers started off that way. All of them started with the what's in it for me mind. One time Jesus is teaching. It's a really interesting lesson uh, that terrifies people because he was saying how hard it was for rich people to enter into heaven. Uh, And you should read this just in case you ever want to be a rich person and give you some pointers. may make you want to change your mind. So at the end of this teaching anyways, uh, uh, how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom uh, of heaven. Peter was listening. Peter says to Jesus, um, and it's always always about Peter for him, hey, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. You know, we left our entire fishing uh, empire <laughs> to follow you. What then will there be for us? I mean, I, I don't mind following you, Jesus, and I don't even mind giving up some things, but surely after I did that, there's, there's got to be a big reward at the end of this, right? What's in it for us, right? And then at the very end of Jesus' ministry, when He's arrested, He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the New Testament tells us that all of His followers, every single one, abandoned Him. They all unfollowed Jesus at the same time. Unfollow. We are not following. Why? Well, if, if, if you're arrested, Jesus, then we're liable to get arrested. Then there's nothing that's really in this for us. There's no benefit to following you. So see ya, don't want to be ya. And then they all abandon Jesus all at the same time. Why? Because they were still processing what it means to be a follower or a consumer, and they were consumers. They were following as long as it worked out for them, and then that's okay, right? Because you know what? I think we all, every single one of us here too, started that way. But here's the interesting thing. After they all abandoned Jesus, when you get to the end of the New Testament, they are all back. And Jesus forgives them all. That same group of cowards that just used Him and used Him, that same group of people went into Jerusalem and then went into the rest of the known world, basically, and gave their lives not for what Jesus taught, gave their lives for what they said they saw. Not a crucified Jesus. Crucifixion happened all the time. A resurrected Jesus. And in that moment, somehow they gave up on their personal agenda. 
and they embraced God's agenda for the world, and they embraced God's agenda for their lives. And they became full-fledged followers of Jesus. But it took a while, and it was a process, let's be honest, and not all of them made that transition. There was one in particular who you know, one of the most famous slash infamous people in all of history, Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas saw Jesus just like the rest of the apostles. The whole idea that that God was going to deliver Israel, they all thought that, that God was going to reestablish Israel as a national presence and a national entity in a world power. God would do something by putting someone on the throne of Israel that He would make Israel great again. And then Rome would be thrown out, and once again, Palestine and Judea and that whole part of the world would be under the leadership of a Jewish king, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior. That's what they all thought. And so these guys thought, maybe Jesus is that guy. And so they waited, and they watched, and they waited, and they watched, and he certainly spoke as one who had authority. They had never heard anyone speak with this much authority. He made so much sense, and Judas waited, and he watched. But for Judas, Jesus was always a means to an end. Jesus was always the person that he was in conflict with when it came to personal agendas. But Judas knew that as Jesus rose to power, if you're one of Jesus' guys, you're going to raise the po- rise to power with him. And there were some things that about Ju- Jesus that bugged Judas. You know, Jesus went too slow, right? Jesus didn't hate the Romans. And if we're going to expel the Romans, if we're going to start this grassroots movement where we rise up and take power, take our land back, we've got to hate the Romans. One day a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus and he asks for a favor and the disciples are there and they all kind of sneer, yeah, whatever, buddy. And Jesus says, sure, I'll help you. What? Come on, Jesus. It's bad enough that you let Matthew join us. I mean, he's a traitor, but now you're actually going to do things? You're going to do favors for the Romans? Come on. That's not what we're about. How are we going to win this way? And then on the other hand, Jesus, i got a couple more points for you. Now you're ostracizing all the religious leaders. And if we're going to have a movement, if we're going to get any traction, if you're going to be the Messiah, you have got to have the temple with us, right? We've got to have the high priests with us. We have to have the religious leaders with us because Jesus, <laughs> I don't know if you've read the, New, the Old Testament, Jesus, but they're the ones that are going to announce to the people when the Messiah shows up. And if you are the Messiah, you've got to be in with those guys. Every time they ask you a, a question, you publicly humiliate them. You've got to stop that. You can't do that anymore. And Jesus didn't seem very intent on building up his war chest either. He wouldn't get organized. And at times, he just seems you know, so passive, right? So Judas is watching all of this and thinking, okay, when? When? I'm here. When? When are we going to get this thing kicked off? And then there came 
an incident in Bethany. And this one incident was the last straw. This was the final thing. This was the thing that drove Judas over the brink. And I want to tell you that story because I think there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's something in me and there's something in you that has an agenda. And God has an agenda. And I really want to figure out how in the world do I get God to work on my plan and do it according to my agenda. And honestly, that, it, it might be why you're joining us at Into One today. You haven't been in, in a long time, but things are, they're not going good, right? And so you're thinking, maybe I need to get back to church. Maybe if I'm in church, that will help. Maybe God will go, oh, oh, look at that. She's in church today. Let's do something nice for her, huh? You don't know exactly how it works, right? But you don't really care because things are not going well. We're willing to try some things. And so you're willing to try. You're wondering, is there a combination of like, if I go to church for three weeks in a row and then I do a prayer and I give an offering, I promise to call my mom every weekend and I'm taking my vitamins. Is that it? I mean, if I do that, is there some kind of magic combination that that gets to God, like a highlight up there, blinking red light, and he goes, oh, Geez, there you are. You are now worthy of my attention and my blessing. Because you're a consumer. And you know what? It's okay to start there. It really is. We all start at that point. But at some point in following Jesus, your agenda and your heavenly Father's agenda for you are going to be in conflict. And what you do in that moment will tell you a lot about yourself. So here is the story of Judas. Here's how the whole thing came down. Matthew, he was right there, wrote it down. This is what he tells us in Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, seven, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Like, what are you doing, right? This is very, very expensive perfume, and it's on Jesus' head. It's running down his hair. It's down the chair. It's all over the floor. It can't be gathered back up. It's just like throwing money away. Why this waste, they asked. Nine, this perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money given to the poor. Now, it's in this very awkward moment. It's a dinner party. Think of it for you. This is like you going to someone's house, okay? And they serve you. You're special. They bring out the best stuff, their very best flatware, their silver. And you sit down and you pick up the fork and you say, seriously? Seriously? We are going to eat with this? How much did this cost? Are you telling me we're going to put this into our mouths, put food on this and put that in our mouths. How much did this cost? Come on. Can you just stop for a moment? Seriously, stop for a moment and imagine what you could have done with the money that it cost for this flatware. Just imagine the conversation uh, from that point forward. What does the rest of the night feel like? Because the rest of the conversation, those people are looking around their house and going, what else are they going to judge us for? This is just so awkward. Now, that's Matthew's account, but John was also there, and John would give us his own account, and he gives us a detail that Matthew leaves out. It wasn't 
all the disciples simultaneously coming to the conclusion that this was a terrible waste of resources. Here's what John tells us. Go to John chapter 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, bom, 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 Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He's the one that kicked this thing off, right? Verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. So apparently, as we find out later, because Judas wasn't kind of all there with them and Judas had his own agenda, Judas leans over to someone, one of the Bartholomews probably, and says, Bartholomew, how much do you think that alabaster jar of perfume is worth? (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of money, right? What's that? What's that, Bartholomew? Like a, like a year's wages? And can you believe that? Hey, James, James, did you, did you see this? Do you see what they're just doing right now? And so Judas is the one who kind of gets this thing started. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here's the deal. When Jesus got together, his apostles pulls them together. They're kind of figuring out who does what. And Judas says, hey, you know what? Why don't I? I'll I'll be the treasurer, okay? I can do that. And they're certainly looking around. They're going, well, it it ain't going to be Matthew. That's for sure, all right? So yeah, Judas, go ahead. You can be the treasurer. And so Judas becomes the treasurer, which works well because Judas is a thief. So he's got the money. He's the one who's got to keep track of what's coming in and going out because they kind of got to raise support for themselves as they go. People are donating to them and as they move around throughout the country doing all the stuff that Jesus did. Judas, he didn't care about the poor. Judas thought, you know what? You should have sold that, given us the money to distribute to the poor, and then my personal war chest would have grown, and I would have been able to dip into that a little bit and have a little something-something for me. He's being a complete hypocrite, and he's one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the apostles. He's with Jesus all of the time. He sees everything that's going on. He sees everything that everybody else saw, but his personal agenda was so strong that he was able to follow Jesus, but at the same time use Jesus for his own ends. Wow. And seeing that in Scripture helps me to understand. I don't like it, but I can understand why so much of this is happening in the world that we live in. It helps me to grasp more of why there's all the religious scandals that just keep popping up, whether it's shady financial dealings or awkward environments that are loaded with power and control uh, issues or, or, or sexual abuse. They all stem from this same split focus. It's, a, it's an eyes-up warning for us. And Jesus knew the hearts of men. This is why it's a bad idea to ever whisper in Jesus' presence. It wasn't even a good idea to have a bad thought in Jesus' presence. So one of the cool things that we see as we go through the New Testament is that people would be thinking something, and then Jesus would look at them and answer their question. And that would just totally freak people out, right? I'm sure it would freak me out too, and probably you also. Here's what happens. Uh, 26 verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And then there's the statement that politicians seem to use all the time, and now you can call them on it because now you'll know the context. Verse 11, the poor you will always have with you, 
but you will not always have me. 12, when she poured perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And Peter's like, oh my goodness, there we go again. All you're talking about these days is death and dying and burial. Jesus, buddy, you got to knock it off, all right? Verse 13, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, now this is amazing, wherever this gospel is preached, wherever the story of Jesus is told, just like today, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So you know what's kind of cool? We, today, right now, right here, are part of fulfilling that prediction. How did he know? How can Jesus, this tiny little dusty armpit of the Roman Empire, say when the story is told about me, when it's told around the world, yeah, when, when, they, when they tell the story of me, when, when, no matter where they go, this story is going to be included. How did he know that? And 2,000 years later, here we are, doing it. Here's what happens next. Then. And this is an important then. All right? Matthew tells us the very next thing that happened, the very next part of the story, the very next move. This was the next thing that happened. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, 15, and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? He had had enough. Okay, if you're going to throw money away, right? If, if, if you're going to allow people to herald you and proclaim you as some sort of special person, but just throw the money away? Come on, we need the money. I, I need the money. How can you be so disrespectful? If you're going to be irresponsible, if you don't even care anymore about becoming the Messiah and conquering and overthrowing and throwing off your rabbinic robes and putting on the robes of the king, if you're not more interested in that, well, I'm done. And so he goes to the chief priests and he says, look, I know what your problem is. Your problem is not that you can't find Jesus. It's easy to find Jesus. You just find the biggest crowd and there he is in the middle of it. The problem is you can't get to Jesus because once you find him, you can't just go, pardon me, pardon, excuse me, pardon me, uh, pardon, yeah, pardon, excuse me, pardon me. Oh, you're under arrest. You'll be annihilated by the crowd because they have lined up to be fed and to be healed and to be loved. And you can't do that for them. So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to find you a time when he is isolated, when he is alone. And because I'm one of his closest followers, I can get you to him. What are you willing to pay for that? Verse 15, so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. 16, from then on. And here's one of the most absurd statements in the entire New Testament. From then on, he watched, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Okay, Judas, have you not been paying attention? Do you remember that afternoon that you thought you were going to drown and you woke Jesus up and he talked 
to the weather, and the weather listened. Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day that you stood outside of Lazarus' tomb, and Lazarus had been in there so long that even the family was like, no, no, we're good. Don't move the stone. It's okay. And he called a dead man out of a tomb. Have you forgotten that? Do you not remember the day that he put mud on someone's eyes and then they could see? Do you understand? This is the man whose hands have touched the lame and then the lame walked. And you think that you have the power, you have the intellectual capacity, you have what it takes to just hand him over? Are you kidding? Now, it's absurd when you think about it in that kind of a context, but come on, honestly, We're not as guilty, but almost as guilty sometimes when you think about how it is that we pray. When you think about how it is that we treat God. We treat God as as someone that we can uh, manipulate uh, and, and call into our world and get Him to do what we want Him to do when we want Him to do it. And then we say, okay, thank you, Jesus. That was great. I'm going to just uh, go ahead and leave you in the corner until I need you again. Stay ready. You're my hip pocket God, my quick draw God. I'm not taking you on spring break, obviously. I'm not going to take you on this particular business trip, but when it comes time to close the deal, I'm going to pull you out, and I want you to be there next to me whispering in my ear. I don't need you now, but when my kids are having some struggles, well, then I'm going to give you a call. So stay ready. Keep your phone on. You're on call, Jesus. The good news is, although it's disturbing, that God doesn't even exist. And it's interesting to me, every time there's a national calamity and people say, how could God? How, why did God? How, how is this God? And I always think, but no one's even asked Him yet. Like, I always want to get to the microphone, right, and to say to the world, by the way, that God that you all just have declared that you are not going to believe in, how could God? I don't believe in a God like that. It's good that you don't believe in Him. He never existed to begin with because the God that doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, you can't find Him in the Old Testament and you can't find Him in the New Testament. That is not Jesus and it's not Jesus God. That is the God that we like to carry around with us in our quick draw back pocket. Somehow for Judas, his God wasn't any larger because somehow he's going to hand Jesus over to those who want to harm him. And he was about to learn a lesson the hard way, a lesson that I hope all of us can learn the easy way, and it's simply this. God's hand cannot be forced, and His will can't be thwarted. God's hand can't be forced, and His will can't be thwarted. And so for 2,000 years, people have tried to figure out why in the world would Judas do that? And the only thing that we can guess, and it's sort of an educated guess, is based on what he did before and what happens afterwards. We're going to go into that in just a minute, but somehow Jesus, uh, Judas thought that he could force Jesus to come out, to, to reveal himself, to proclaim himself king of Israel, that, that he, he just wasn't going fast enough, and that perhaps if, he, if, if Judas delivers him over to his enemies, Jesus wasn't about to allow something bad to happen to himself, right? So, I mean, I mean, they tried to arrest Jesus before, and every time they tried to arrest him, he would slip through their fingers, walk away, disappear. So Judas, just have to assume this, that Judas assumed that Jesus was not a la- about to let anything bad 
happen to himself. He's got a mission, right? Judas was just going to speed up the process a little bit, right? Just help Jesus along and maybe get a little richer in the process. So during Passover, he hears that Jesus is going to take the 12 out to the Garden of Gethsemane at night to pray. And he slips out of dinner early. Got an errand. Got something that I got to do. And he sends a message to the chief priest. And he says, okay, guys, get your guys ready, all right? You're going to have to move quickly. We are headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Meet us there. It's going to be dark, going to be confusing. Bring your torches. Bring soldiers. Bring the temple guard. Bring the palace guard, and I will be there. Watch for me. Watch for me. And then you guys go and arrest the man that I kiss. Pay attention. Don't arrest the wrong guy, okay? We might not get another opportunity for this. I will betray the one that you are to arrest with a kiss because I, Judas, am going to hand over to you the Messiah of God. What was he thinking? And so they arrested Jesus. The plan was going, was working. And they took him and the disciples fled and Judas left with them. And then here's what happened. Matthew tells us this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. Hey, hold on a second. What about a trial? Ah, uh, <laughs> we don't even need one of those. We already tried them. We tried them in our, in, in, in our minds months ago. It's already done. We just need to execute him now. So let's execute him. So... Verse 2, so they bound him, led him away, and then this is where things begin to fall apart for Judas. Verse 2, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And apparently G, uh, Judas is thinking, oh, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do that. You're, you're, you are supposed to arrest him. You're supposed to try him. And you're supposed to try and punish him according to our law. It, keep it in-house. It's just us. And he knew that the Jews don't have the right. They don't have the, the authority. They don't have the political clout to, to kill anyone. They can't crucify anyone. And so we have to assume that he assumed that once the Pharisees arrested him, they get into that hyper kind of religious context, maybe a closed-door kind of thing, that eventually Jesus would feel the pressure, realize he's got no choice, and finally Jesus would reveal who he really is, Superman. And by the next thing he knows, J Jesus has been turned over to Pilate, which means now it's Rome. It's up to Rome to determine what Jesus' fate. And this wasn't supposed to happen. This is not the way it was supposed to go. This is not the way I planned it out. And now things are completely out of control and completely out of my hands. What am I going to do? Verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And then he confesses. Verse 4, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And he knew. He knew. Verse 4, what is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. You chose this path. The destination is clear. You are responsible for the outcome of this journey, Judas. And now Judas wants to back it up, right? Let's hit rewind. I want to go to undo. 
Now Jesus, uh, Judas wants to go back to the moment at Passover and decide not to betray Jesus, but there are certain trains that once they leave the station, you cannot get them back. Isn't that true? Right? There are just certain decisions that once you make them, you cannot unmake them. You can receive forgiveness, but circumstances are as circumstances are. And as a result of the circumstances, oftentimes, that we have created ourselves. Verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and, and he left. And then he went away and hanged himself. There are decisions that are difficult to live with. For Judas, this was a situation that was impossible for him to live with. And so he took his own life. And now for the ultimate expression of religious hypocrisy, check this out, verse 6. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. You go, wait, 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 what? Yeah, we have this really uh, very obscure law. It's not even one of Moses' laws. We kind of made this one up to help us with like another situation we got ourselves into. It's sort of a law that supports a law that supports the law. It's in the fine print. So we can't really, and we don't want to, break our own law, so we need to come up with something new. Wait, wait, wait. So you're the guys who had Jesus arrested at night in secret and, and had already decided to have him put to death. But you couldn't put him to death, so you had to leverage the Romans. So you leveraged the power of, the Ro of Rome to do your bidding, and, and you're concerned about keeping this obscure red tape law. Yeah, you don't want to actually put the money in the wrong piggy bank, right? You know, because that could be a problem. Because it's blood money. It's our money. Our money that we paid hours ago to uh, basically have a guy whacked. So here's what they did, and this is really interesting. Verse 7, so they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Somebody's got to visit Jerusalem. They're there in town. Something goes wrong. They die. Where are we going to bury them? they got no family here, but we need a place to put the body. That's why. And this is fascinating. Okay, so if you're not a, uh, an avid Bible reader, maybe you're not a Christian uh, these are little details that you want to pay attention to. Watch for details like this that display throughout the New Testament that it's tied into what people sometimes call real history. Verse 8, this is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. In other words, Matthew says, hey, by the way, if you visit the Holy Land, come over and see me. I will take you to the field purchased with the 30 pieces of silver that were used to betray Jesus. You know where it is? I can show you where it is. I can take you to the empty tomb, but you may be interested. Here's the field that was purchased with the 30 pieces of silver. It is still there to this day. Not 150 years later, not 200 years later. It was written within the time that the eyewitnesses were still alive. They knew these events. They saw these events. They were still alive when this happened. Now Judas is gone. Jesus has been arrested, Jesus is tried, Jesus is crucified, and Jesus died. But still, God's hand can't be forced and His will can't be thwarted. In this crazy, strange, unique, kind of almost dramatic, Hollywood kind of way, Judas 
in trying to force his will. Judas, staying focused on his story, becomes an accidental player in the story of your salvation and mine. And God's will was actually accomplished through this horrible decision. And God's plan actually unfolded as a result of the decision that Judas made to betray Jesus. How strange. It's as if God's hand can't be forced and His will can't be thwarted. Now, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with me? Simply this. When we begin following Jesus, we all start like this, okay? I have a plan. I'm hanging on to it. And I need you to help me with my plan, God. Will you help me? Will you do what I ask you to do? I have a will, and I would like to think that your will and my will line up. But if not, my will be done. Along the way, as you follow Jesus, along the way, your little fingers are going to be, begin to be pried open because as you begin to realize from time to time there's a conflict between my will and thy will. And in that conflict that you learn so much, it's that you learn so much about yourself. It's in that conflict that Judas's story becomes a little bit of your story because there are competing agendas, and I can't have my way and God's way. And when this happens, as we said last episode, when it happens, it will feel to you personally like it's some kind of moral imperative, like this is something that I just have to do, or this is something that you absolutely shouldn't do. You need to stay, not go. You need to go, not stay. You need to let go instead of hang on. Oh, no, no, it's time to hang on instead of letting go. This is an opportunity you better say yes to, even though you don't want to. This is an opportunity that you better walk away from, even though everything in you wants to take it. And in that moment, you will know, because your conscience is just going to light up, especially if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time. Your conscience will light up. It'll blink. There will be a conflict and on the outside, your, your words will say, oh, yeah, that's what I should do. Oh, yeah, I have peace about this. Yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal. Nothing's going to happen. But on the inside, there is a war because the will of God and your will will be in conflict. Your agenda and God's agenda just won't be synced up. And for some of us, like we said last episode, it feels a bit like a death because we have to walk away from the opportunity of a lifetime. We have to walk away from maybe our dream person. You have to walk away from the dream house, the dream job, and in those moments, it will feel to you like it's a death because the agenda that you are giving up, in some cases, is so central to who you think you are that you, you just think, I can't live without this. I can't live without him. I can't live without her. This is who I am. This is what I'm about because your agenda and God's will for your life will be in conflict. But you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to fear this 
because it's also what makes up a defining moment for you. We talked about this last episode too, because in, in you're deciding to follow Jesus in those moments when your will and God's will are just like this. It's in those moments that you, are dis, you will discover whose you are, whose you truly are. And in those moments that, that you discover that I, that I truly belong to Him, it's in those moments that you discover that I have moved from simple consumer to follower. And it's in those moments that there is a free fall. What am I going to do that you're going to have to trust God to catch you? Because what you knew doesn't seem to be true anymore. And in those moments, as we said in episode two, it's when your little itty-bitty tiny faith intersects with God's faithfulness and becomes alive to you. The bottom line is this. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. God, I want, and it's not a bad thing to want, right? In fact, everybody wants, and, and, and God, you want, and that, that's a little bit different. And God, what I want is what everybody wants, and it's just, I know it's not what you want. And so now, I want what you want more than I want what I want. That's what a Jesus follower does. Now, because I love you, and because I'm your pastor, and because I am a sinner just like you are, I'm going to give you a little wiggle room today. We'll change it to, I want to want what you want more than what I want to want. How about that? I don't actually want what you want more than I want what I want, but I will go halfway. I'll go halfway with you, God. I really want to want what you want more than I want what I want. And we've all been there. And here's why. You've seen people, you've heard stories of people who made extraordinary sacrifices uh, uh, just because of their faith, and, and you thought, wow, that's amazing. I don't know that I could do that. And you looked at them and you thought, I, I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I would do that. But that's amazing. I would like to hope that if I were ever in a situation like that, I would have the faith and I would have the discipline, the self-control to do what they're doing. I want to want it. I just don't want it yet. And here's why this is important. This is really important. When you find yourself in that situation as a Jesus follower, the temptation to say, it's just too hard, God. I, I don't want what you want. And I, I don't think I'm going to do what you want me to do. So see ya. I gotta go. Maybe I'll be back later when this doesn't work out. And in those moments, if you would just pause, simply pray a version of this person, Heavenly Father, to be honest, I don't want to break up with him. God, to be honest, I, I don't want to move. God, to be honest, I don't want to leave that job. God, to be honest, I don't want to not do that deal simply because it's so great. And I know that Jesus wouldn't do that deal, but God, I just don't want to do your will. I, I, I just don't want to. But Heavenly Father, this is the safe prayer. This is the wiggle room prayer, okay? This is the prayer who, uh, for the person who is maturing. This is a prayer that God understands. Heavenly Father, I want to want 
what you want more than I want what I want? Would you just stay there long enough, perhaps for your heavenly Father to begin prying open your fingers so that you would do the will of your heavenly Father who loves you rather than your own will? There's one little interesting thing, then we're done. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't stop Judas from doing what Judas intended to do. But neither did Judas stop Jesus from doing what Jesus intended to do. And I have a feeling that your heavenly Father won't stop you from doing what you intend to do. And I think that that should scare our hands open. Because Judas went down a road that he wished, oh, he wished he could come back again. But again, there are some things that can't be undone. They can be forgiven, but they can't be undone. And I think if Judas were here, he would, he would say something like this, blessed is the one who chooses to do the will of God rather than attempting to impose his will on God. Blessed is the one who, when they have the opportunity, blessed is the one when they come to that fork in the road, blessed is the one when there's a butting of heads, um, when, when my will isn't God's will. Blessed is the one that gives in to the agenda of God and chooses to do His will rather than imposing their own will. Because at the end of the day, as smart as you are and as connected as you are and as resourced as you are, you can't force God. You can't force the hand of God and you can't thwart the will of God. And that is a good thing because that means that God is God and that you're not and I'm not. It means that when we sing and when we pray, when we worship, we're worshiping the almighty, sovereign, creator God that reserves the right to say no. And I'm not changing my mind because I love you. Because I love you, I have invited you into something larger than your little, itty-bitty, soon-to-be-forgotten story. I have invited you into a story that is so much bigger and so much grander, a story that you're going to look back on this day later when you choose to trust me rather than walk away from me. You're going to look back with a sigh of relief. You're going to say beyond the circumstances of the story, that was the moment, that was the intersection, that was the season of my life where God became so real. And I and think, I almost missed it for something so small, for something so insignificant, that when I look back now, I'm not even sure what the draw was to begin with. So follow follow. Follow because His hand can't be thwarted and His agenda can't be stopped. Follow. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank You for preserving these sacred and ancient texts for 2,000 years. Thanks for preserving this story. Thanks for bringing all of us back to the memory of Matthew and John and God, it's so relevant for some of us today. We're right in the middle of this, and that makes us so uncomfortable because we've already been wrestling, and now you just took away another excuse. So, God, we confess together that, that we are grateful that you are a God who will not allow us to change your mind, and at the same time, it scares us 
to think that you are a God who will allow us to have our own way. So give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And please give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.